When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recover of sight to the blind. He set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and then he began to say to them, Today, that scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? And then the second passage is from the end of Jesus' ministry uh, here on earth. And it says, Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing the disciples, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord, our Savior. Amen. It's with gratitude I come here today. I told people when I retired from this congregation that I was going to come back and sit in the back of the church. And I have my family sitting back there now. Groucho Marx, who was uh, the most famous of the Marx brothers, once made a famous comment about his being received into local groups. He said, I would never join a club that would accept me as a member. <laughs> he thought that among the groups he knew that they would have better taste than to bring him in. Well, the church has no such restrictions. <laughs> Nor what are, no matter what your background or your failings or your weaknesses or even the strengths you may have brought with you, we welcome you all in the name of Christ. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, old or young or middle-aged, whether you are a high school student or college graduate, whether you're a CEO or a union member or a PEO or an AARP, we do not require two personal references and a credit card check before you can join here. <laughs> you don't have to have a perfect disposition. Believe me, in 60 years of ministry, I have never really found an ivory soap Christian. That is somebody who was 99 and 44 100% pure. We are not a society of the elite. We are not a group of plaster saints. We are a hospital for sinners. The last time somebody criticized the church to me by having too many hypocrites who don't really live up to their faith 
I said, you know, you are right. We all admit it. Come join us because there's room for one more. <clears throat> well, by now, you know that by today, on this 30th anniversary of this dedication of the sanctuary, I'm going to talk about the church. And I want to ask, you know, why do they come? Why do they come? There's so much talk today about the church being in retreat. Have you noticed that? But let's tell it like it really is, even today on a low Sunday. More people are in worship in, in America than, on, uh, than that are doing any other kind of thing in life. There are more people in worship in America today than are at professional football games or at baseball games. There are more people in America's cities and small towns on Sunday in church than go to the beach or play golf or pickleball. Why do they go sometimes when the services are not terribly professional? Now, not here, of course. We are very professional here. But as one writer said, St. John's near the gas station, it's pretty raw and sometimes blah there. So why do some people in our contemporary time turn on their television sets and see us here on Sunday morning to see the worship? And if you want to get really biblical about this, why did Jesus come to church? Did you ever think about that? We read this morning that Jesus went to the synagogue as his custom was. It was a habit. It was a habit, and it's amazing to imagine it with all that was wrong with the establishment of the synagogues and the community of people of that day. Then we turn to the end of what, what we know as, as Jesus' earthly life, and the Bible says these people, once they get over some of their doubts and concerns, they were continually in the temple. And they were there because of Easter, and they were there with joy. So why did the church people, what did they do even in those early days? You think about it in those early days of persecution under the Roman emperors, Nero and Diocletian, why in that time did they put their life on the line under the persecution of, of the Roman emperors, Nero and Diocletian? Why in our time have these cell groups continued to exist in China and Russia and have survived the generations in governments that were antagonistic to the church and antagonistic to them. They met in these clandestine places to worship underneath the streets and in back rooms and in caves and in fields behind the grain. That was their sanctuary. Well, why then and why now? Now, I know there are mixed motives, but there are some abiding reasons why they we're here and why you are here. First of all, they came to church to meet God. In the book of Ecclesiastes, there is a phrase which says, God has put eternity 
in your heart. Our world, our world, you know, is filled with so many activities and things to do, so much that demands our attention, so much that interferes, some, some of which is, are pretty superficial in the long haul. But we are meant, you see, to be part of God's creation, which means we ask some very deep questions. Who am I? What am I doing in this world for 80 or 90 years if I'm lucky? Do I have responsibility to others besides my spouse and my children and my grandchildren? What happens when a loved one of mine dies? There is eternal God who has the right to know how we answer those questions. And we don't come here to talk about God as much as we come here to meet with God. And we do it in scripture, which is read, in sermons which are delivered that comfort us and challenge us in our preconceptions, and in our sacraments which we act out in the table and in the font, in songs that are sung with fervor and with anthems that stir us, and with instruments that we have in our church's life here, and by a creed that connects us with the people of the past and prayers that lead us, and then an offering which allows us to share in the good news to the community in which we live. Now, of course, every Sunday is not a great experience of the presence of God, of course not. Yet I want to tell you, it beats the times that I have known God on the tennis court, or at the mall, or at the beach, or even at sunset times. And through the years, there was scarcely a Sunday that I didn't sense the awe of God's love being presented to us here and the wonder of Jesus coming down with forgiveness and life for us. And through the years, they came, and to, they came because they wanted to meet God and to be winged by him. There was one day <clears throat> a minister who was standing outside his church down on the sidewalk, and a little boy came up and said, hey, mister, is God in there? And the minister said, yes, son, in a rare and marvelous way. Secondly, they come to church because they know they need to remember. We joke as we get older about the fact that we can't recall so many things, names and numbers and dates, but there's a more serious memory loss. We can forget God and his ways if we don't rehearse it on a very regular kind of basis. Albert Einstein said, you know, there are two kinds of truth. The one kind of truth is like mathematical truth. Two times two equals four. You don't need to keep rehearsing that every week in order to get it right. Once you've got it, you got it. Oh, but what about this? Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Or, you are forgiven by the free grace of God. Or, wherever you come or wherever you go, God is with you in unremitting love. Somehow we need to be reminded about these things or we forget it. Moses warned the people, he said, beware when you come to the land that the God gives you, that you and you build houses and you build cities and olive groves, and have eaten and are full, beware 
lest you forget the Lord your God. And Jesus said about the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me. You see, we need to remember to give justice to the poor and the hungry because God is with them too. People come to church lest they forget. The greatest tragedy, you know, of all is Christian Alzheimer's disease. Remember, you are a child of God, lest you do not respect yourself. Remember that Jesus died for you before you're weighed down with a guilt that nags you like an automobile horn out of whack. Remember that Christ is the victor over death before you resign to depression or unbearable grief when you've lost somebody that you've loved very much. Third, we come because we seek forgiveness. I keep hearing this generation doesn't have any sense of sin. They, they talk about making mistakes or uh, screwing up or failing, but that they are not people with guilt that needs a divine uh, pardon. Well, I, I don't believe that. Deep down, we know that when it comes to being like Jesus, we miss the mark. We don't have unconditional love even toward those people we live with. We don't do the good things we ought to do. Consciously or unconsciously, we know we need cosmic forgiveness for not being what we are called to be and what we want to be. Even God must weep for how far we have fallen from our potential. As the pastor said at the day, that this place was dedicated, he said, we come to church not because we are good, but because God is good. Some years ago, a famous clergyman who was a possibility pastor pronounced that he didn't have a prayer confession in the worship service because he said it was a downer. <laughs> On the contrary, confession frees the spirit, it tells the truth, and offers us a wondrous assurance of pardon. You are forgiven. We need to hear that often. Fourth, we come to church to find fellowship. Luther said once in him bombastic way, there's no such thing as a solitary Christian, period. Our faith knows about personal faith, but it does not know about private faith. Our faith wasn't born this morning. So we need the church of yesteryear in our scriptures and creeds and in the hymns and in the written prayers and through our own mothers and fathers who have gone before us. And now they bless us from the past. And we have this fellowship in the present. Someone told me this story. It's about Jacob and Samuel who were at the coffee hour following church. And another fellow came up and said, hey, Jacob, what are you doing in church? You don't believe much of anything. And Jacob said, well, let me tell you, Samuel comes to church to see God. I come to see Samuel. <laughs> you know, the story of Doubting Thomas is the common standard Bible reading for today. And as a disciple, Thomas kept saying that he couldn't believe that Jesus had returned to life. But then Jesus came to him and showed, showed his wounded hands and sighed, and he believed. And then Jesus, Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? 
Blessed are those who have not seen me and come to believe. Who are those people? That's us. We hold each other up when we are doubting. Through the years, have many, how many have said to me, I was held up when I was down by the people of the congregation who stood beneath me and alongside me and behind me and before me. Some others said there were church people who helped me to believe when I nearly lost my faith. And because of then, I began to doubt my doubts. We need each other. I remember the slogan of the Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. The slogan is, it's, it's tragic to be lonely in New York City. It's tragic to be lonely in Sarasota or in Pittsburgh or any other place in this country. We come to church because of the fellowship that we find here. Fifth, we come to church because we want God in Christ to bless our crucial moments in our life. Have you ever thought about it? How many in my ministry have asked me, how many weddings have you done? How many, how many funerals have you done? How many baptisms have you done? And I never counted, but I knew why the people came. Why? They came for God to bless their baby, who was announced as a, as a child, not just of the couple, but a child of God, and a child of this family. They are all our children. They came to see young people becoming adults and committing themselves in, in, on the chancel steps, kneeling and being confirmed. Some came as a couple to marry at a time of exaltation, but also a time of terror. <laughs> they wanted God to be the third member in their home to give them strength to share life together. They came to see pastors, and in some cases, we we'll say women pastors and elders and deacons ordained to their special ministries. They come to funerals grieving for people that they have loved and are hoping that they will hear some note of victory and promise for life after death. Likely they would not hear that at the local country club, not at the bar either as people click their glasses to celebrate a person's life now over. You know, in the years that I was in this room, I never concluded a memorial service without repeating the words of an Easter hymn. The strife is o'er, the battle done, the victory of life is won, the sound of triumph has begun. Alleluia. You say that in the face of death. The powers of death have done their worst. But Christ their legions has dispersed. Let shouts of holy joy outburst. Alleluia. Lord, by the whites, by the wounds on Calvary, from death's dread sting, your servants free, that we may live eternally. Alleluia. And I didn't have them ever sing it. <laughs> because the congregation was still working with grieving and having difficulty to sing. It's a big hymn. But after I read the words, I asked the organist to play it full, play it with joy. Finally, they come to church to receive power. Here's where it counts. 
A member of a former church used to say to me, I come to church to get my batteries charged. What do you see after worship on a Sunday morning as people go out of these doors? Some say they see a lot of people heading for brunch or coffee hour. <laughs> I see an army of people going out to the week ahead and they go with the Holy Spirit empowering them to be true neighbors, to be Christ's person in businesses and in service industries and at homes and in retirement communities. And it doesn't stop there. How do you explain? How do you ever explain to anybody how we have a counseling program to help the hurting or why we go out to an eye clinic in Honduras or why do we offer bread to the hungry or helping in communities where there are hurricanes and tornadoes that wreak havoc? Why do we do that? Well, on and on it goes with the Spirit of Christ giving power that begins in church that's here. In this past week, one of our morning news programs was complaining about the pride of the world. Most news programs do that today. They talked about the rape of Ukraine, China's threat, political antagonism, and the hundreds and hundreds of murders with mass shootings. It seemed like everything was going to hell. And then the news people invited Rear Admiral Barry C. Black, who was chaplain of the Senate, to respond and ask him what he thought about the future. And the clergyman said something like this. He said, we're approaching Holy Week and Easter. Good Friday showed us how terrible our world is when we will crucify the best and bring about darkness. But he said, along comes the trumpets of Easter and we see the light. And we celebrate that our God and the Church of Jesus Christ will finally win. That's what we need to come to church to hear. Our God in Christ triumphs. And that's why last week this congregation rose to their feet at the close of our Easter worship and the choir rejoiced in song. Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. That's why we need to come to church. So what about you this morning? as we celebrate this worship space. Are you here to meet God? Are you here to seek ultimate forgiveness? Are you here because you want to be a friend to someone who's watching your faith and just won't make it unless he can hold on to you? Or are you here to celebrate the power of new life in Christ? In any case, when some little person comes up to you and asks, Hey, is God in here? Don't you back down. Don't you excuse yourself. You say you bet he is. God is here in a rare and marvelous way. Amen.